Welcome to the St. John's Hoxton podcast. We are a local church in East London, here to be a beacon of hope for Hoxton. And our mission is to worship God, make disciples, share Jesus and transform Hoxton. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time and lights us fools the way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Good morning. My name's Andrew. I'm a member of St. John's, uh, and there's a speech to cheer you up this morning. Not. Shakespeare's Macbeth muses on how life is short and meaningless. Of course, during his murderous reign as the King of Scotland, he did a pretty good job at ensuring quite a few people's lives were kept very short. But as for meaningless, he clearly hadn't read the Bible and didn't know Jesus. Macbeth sees life as creeping along, but also as being brief, as death snuffs us out like a spent candle. As the Apostle James says in his letter to those early Christians, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while, and then vanishes. Perhaps your life feels a bit dull and ordinary, like this piece of paper. But to God, you are his very great delight and reward. You shine in the darkness. And then you're gone. Here's a riddle for you. We have the first slide. What is free yet priceless? You can't own it, but you can use it. You can't keep it, but you can spend it. Once lost, you can never have it back. What is it? Any ideas? Life. Life? Nearly. Nearly. Love. Love? Time. Yes, indeed. Full marks. (laughs) Time. Time is a funny thing. We think we have an endless amount of it, that it'll creep along. Certainly as a child, I remember at school wondering if I would ever leave school. It just went on and on. I couldn't really imagine being a grown-up. My parents, my grandparents seemed so old. I couldn't imagine being that age. And now that I am, <laughs> being 21 seems just like yesterday. The great 20th century physicist Albert Einstein taught the special theory of relativity, E equals mc squared, apparently, um, that time, space, and motion are all relative. Now, I'm no scientist and can't really get my head around what he was talking about, but helpfully for, for people like me, Einstein had a rather simpler explanation. He said this, on the next slide, when you sit with someone you're attracted to, For two hours, you think it's only a minute, 
But when you sit on a hot stove for a minute, you think it's two hours. That's relativity. <laughs> this month at, at St. John's, we're looking at where our treasure lies. Morag introduced the topic for us last week as we looked at the, the parable of the hidden treasure. And she asked us, uh, where is our focus? What's our treasure? What is it that we most value? She challenged us to ask, where is my heart? Where is my focus? And who am I serving? This morning, we're looking at our use of time and why it matters and what, why it matters, what we do with it. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would take these words of mine and by your spirit, Lord, you would give them life and light. That, Lord, you would illumine our hearts uh, by your word. That, Lord, you would help us to go deeper into you. That, Lord, we may be more faithful, more obedient disciples. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Talking of time, I love the story of the man who went to his boss to ask for a day off work. His boss was outraged and pointed out that there are 365 days in the year. The man slept for eight hours a day, which makes 122 days. So deducting that, that leaves 243 days. The man also had eight hours of recreation, another 122 days. That left a balance of 121 days. There are also 52 Sundays uh, in the year that the man didn't work at all. So that comes off. That left 69 days. He also got Saturday afternoons off. That's another 26 days. The boss gave him an hour, hour off for lunch, which makes about 15 days. That leaves 28 days a year. And the man already got 19 days paid holiday leaving nine days. And of course, the man also took all the public holidays, which are eight. And so the boss was not going to give him that one day off. <laughs> now, hopefully, if you have a boss, he's rather better at maths than that. So, my first point is that it matters what we do with our time, because time is short. Psalm 90, which Caroline read for us, is a reminder first of how short human life is in comparison to, to God's eternity. Verses 1 to 6 say, Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. The psalmist emphasizes the security that we can have with God. We can safely place our trust in him, in the one who existed before the mountains were created. In all of life's ups and downs, he is God. Before the heartaches and pains and devastations of life, he was God. And long after all those things have passed away, he will still be God. He is everlasting. And in contrast, the psalmist tells us that we're dust and we will return to dust. We're mortal. We do not live forever in these bodies. And to illustrate this, the psalmist says that a thousand years to us is just like a, a day to God. And the shortness of life means that death will soon overtake us. So why do we die? Well, part of the answer is found in verses 7 to 11. That we have sinned against a holy God and his righteous judgment is on us. 
We need forgiveness for going our own way. We need God's mercy, not his judgment. So when we see that life is short and we must find the mercy of God before life ends, it inspires us to pray for wisdom so we won't spend our time foolishly ignoring God. As it says in the next slide, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, Jesus is recording, recorded as telling a story about a farmer, a rich farmer. We sang about him last week. The farmer had a bumper crop and he decided to build a bigger barn. And Jesus called that man a fool because that night, that very night, the farmer was going to die. Uh, see, Jesus didn't call the man a fool for planning, for planning for the future. That's sensible, that's wise. Jesus said the man was a fool because he planned and spoke as if he was going to live forever. It matters what we do with our time because our time is short. Next, the psalmist prays that he will find peace in the love of God early in life. That's what it means when he says that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. The inner joy that God gives us, that we heard about in the, in the collect just now, means that it will make up and, and sustain us through all the hardships and adversities that we experience uh, in this painful and broken world. And the last thing that the psalmist mentions in Psalm 90 is his work. One of the tragedies of death is that it interrupts our life and cuts short what we might otherwise have achieved. And the psalmist says we need a heart of wisdom about life so that we find the work that God has for each of us. When we find this place of service, God himself, the psalmist says, will prosper and establish that work. The only work that's going to last is that which God gives and establishes. Psalm 90 teaches that when we understand how short a time we have on this earth, we will ask God to show us how to make the best decisions in order to pursue a love relationship with God and to give us the work that God wills for us and that he can establish and prosper. And I mean work in its, in its broadest sense, not just a paid job, although it includes that, but, but work for our season of life. That might mean studying at school or college or being a single mum or a grandma or helping out with a, a local charity or serving in the church. Time is short. The British inventor John Taylor thought long and hard about this and uh, he invented uh, a clock. Um, here it is, the Corpus Christi Chronophage. Uh, and it's outside Corpus Christi College in Cambridge, uh, to which he donated it. And um, chronophage means time eater. And the, the bits sort of go round and the locust grasshopper on the top sort of moves up and down and ticks away the seconds. Um, and he's got a sort of a horrible load of nasty teeth at the front, um, devouring each second with his, his jaw. And there's a, a chain rattles in a tiny little wooden coffin at the back of the clock and then slams shut, marking the hour. And John Taylor said that that slamming is a sound of his own mortality. It's a weird clock because the, the pendulum swings erratically. Uh, it'll slow to a near stop and then race ahead 
reminding us of occasions when, when time seems to fly or just seems to grind away slowly. And it's only accurate once every five minutes. So don't tell the time by it. And uh, the blue, there are blue lights that sort of go around the circles of the, the gold bit. Um, and they play a sort of an optical illusion. Um, they'll whirl around really fast and then they'll go very slowly. And one reason why John Taylor built the clock was to remind observers not to take time for granted. Why does it matter what we do with our time? It matters because time is short. Our biggest issue with time isn't um, how to organize or plan our time. We can all write a to-do list. That's usually not a problem. Our biggest issue is being convinced that we don't have a lot of time. So we need God's wisdom so we can live a life that is rich in its relationship with God and meaningful in service to him. We need to do what matters and not waste time. So my second point is that it matters what we do with our time because time is not only short, but time can be wasted. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesian church, wrote this. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Paul, Paul taught the Ephesian church that they were a new society in Christ. Their values and morals, their relationships, therefore, ought to be very different to the culture around them. And one of the ways that they were to be different is that they were to live holy lives. They are people of the light. They're no longer in darkness, ruled by evil and deceived by error. And so his point to them is his point to us, that we are to live out our new identity in Christ. So if we claim to be followers of Jesus, then our speech, our attitudes, our character, and our behavior should look like those of Jesus. Just like light reveals dirt or danger that's hidden in, in darkness, our pure lives are to be a, a witness to, uh, a rebuke of, and an exposing of the wickedness of society. And Paul goes on to say that the, the difference between the life we, we used to live and the life we now live as Christians is as different as the, as the difference between being asleep and being awake, being dead or being alive, and of being brought out of pitch darkness into the noonday light of a holy Christ. We need to recognize that living a life of sin, indulging our appetites, living for ourselves, not looking out for our neighbor, Rejecting God's way of mercy and forgiveness is wasting our life. It's like living in darkness. But living for Christ is like living in the light, a life which leads to fulfillment, being who we really are. With that realization, we should want to make the most of the time that we have. Paul is blunt. He says the days are evil. There are powerful forces at work in the world that will distract us from pursuing God, doing God's will that want us to lead a wasted life. We need to discover the will of God and then in obedience do it. The religious leaders of Jesus' day had the opportunity to know the Messiah, but they missed it completely. They chose to live in darkness. 
Our wise stewardship of the time that is allotted to us is an acknowledgement that time is a gift from God. Time is not to be wasted. I recently read a blog by a woman who worked in a hospice, and she wrote about the privilege of sitting uh, at the bedside of men and women who were, were, were dying. Uh, and as they tried to make uh, peace with themselves at the end of their life. And she noticed that there were certain regrets that were expressed time and time again. And these were five of them, the top five. I wish I'd been more loving to the people who matter the most. I wish I'd been a better spouse, parent or child. I wish I hadn't spent so much time working. I wish I'd taken more risks. I wish I'd been happier and enjoyed life more. If we use our time wisely, listening to the Lord, we need not have any regrets. We can make conscious choices now to live fully and make the most out of every opportunity that we have. How can we use our time wisely? Well, first, by praying, spending time with God, reading the Bible. I use the, the Bible in One Year app that um, HTB, Holy Trinity Brompton, have produced. It's a fantastic uh, little app and you can, uh, it gives you readings for the day, so you can read the whole Bible in one year. You can read it, or you can have the privilege of listening to the, uh, the actor David Suchet um, reading it for you. Um, David Suchet, he did Poirot. Um, he did a lovely voice. And so that's what I do. On my walk to work, I plug in, and I listen to David Suchet, and I listen to the Bible. We need to get the Bible into us. We need to get God's wisdom. What does it matter what we do with our time? It matters because time is short. It matters because whilst of course we need time to rest and relax, it's easy to waste time on, on frivolous things which, which don't build us up or build God's kingdom. And lastly, it matters what we do with our time because our use of time will be judged. The author of the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes acknowledges that God has ordained life in such a way that every activity has its proper place. Chapter 3 is a beautiful and well-known poem. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. Now, he doesn't mean that things are so determined that we have no, no choice in these things. He's simply saying that these things are what is common to all of us and that they have their appropriate time. He's emphasizing the similarity of our lives. Now, of course, every one of us is unique, and there are specifics that only apply to us. But for the most part, the larger issues are all the same. We're born. We will die. We laugh and we cry. We speak and we're silent. But the writer of Ecclesiastes goes on to say that God will call us to account for how we use these various seasons of life. In verse 15, he says, God will call the past to account. Similarly, Peter, in his letters, says, tells us that each of us should use whatever gift we have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace. Now, one of the basic characteristics of a steward is that he doesn't own what he's looking after, belongs to his boss. He works for the benefit 
of the owner. And so as stewards, we need to recognize that what we have has come from God. And we don't own a single second of our time, nor of our talents and abilities, not even our money. Everything is a gift. Everything is on loan from God. Some of us have been given a long time to live. Others have a short life. Some are given exceptional talents. Others have modest abilities. Some have given a lot of money, some not much. But whatever we are given, we're responsible for how we use it. Because we will be held to account. In verse 17, the writer of Psalm 90 says, God will bring to judgment both the righteous and the wicked. And there are two judgments that we're going to face. The first judgment relates to salvation. This determines whether you get to enjoy the fullness of the kingdom of heaven or whether you're excluded, what's traditionally called hell. And the sole basis of that judgment depends on whether you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is your Lord, your Saviour and your God. The second judgment will focus on the degree of reward or punishment. This is what the Apostle Paul spoke of in 2 Corinthians, the next slide, when he said, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. On that day, God will hold us accountable for the things we did and the things we failed to do. When we were first approached about Jesus, we were asked to trust him, to give our lives over to him. And I guess you wouldn't be here this morning if you hadn't done that, to some degree. You might trust Jesus, but can Jesus trust you? There's a tremendous loss of trust in modern Western society. Michael Gove, the politician, said a few years ago that people in this country have had enough of experts. We don't trust the bankers after the 2008 crash. We don't trust our politicians much. The media would have us not trust our judges, enemies of the people, they're called. And then we don't trust our media because it's all fake news. We're we're becoming a society of cynics. But the question is, can Jesus trust you? So why do we trust someone or something? It's because we've discovered that that thing or that person is reliable. If you want to buy a new fridge, you perhaps choose a certain make because you know that it's going to work, it's going to stay cold, it's not going to break down very quickly. You may go to speak to a a particular friend about an issue because you know from experience that that friend is going to treat what you say in confidence and not gossip and, and talk about it. We trust or distrust things from our experience. So what will Jesus say to you as he looks at the way you lead your life? What's his experience of you? Can Jesus trust you to be a pursuer of the kingdom? Can he trust you to choose to enter through that narrow gate? Can he trust you to take up your cross when things get difficult? Can he trust you to discern his will and walk in obedience to him? 
You see, it's not just enough to believe in Jesus. We have to live out our life of faith. Peter talks about this in his second letter. He says, God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. God has given us time, a precious gift, but we don't know how much he has given us for our own lives. Therefore, we need to live as children of light, being very careful how we live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. So, in conclusion, Jesus, in Matthew 25, told the parables of the bags of gold and the sheep and the goats. And he spoke of two different groups of people who will appear before him when he returns for the final judgment. And to those in one group, he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. But to the others, he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Which do you wish to hear? It matters what we, how we use our time. It matters because the Psalm 90 reminds us time is short. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Time can be wasted. You have set our iniquities before you. And we will give an account of our use of time, which he's given to us. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. So, let us conclude by praying together the last few verses of Psalm 90. Lord, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to us, your servants, your splendor to our children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Amen. Thanks for listening to the St. John's Hoxton podcast. New talks will be uploaded every week from all of our services. And do check out our website, stjohnshoxton.org.uk, for more information.